welcome to the first immigration law podcast from the Stevenson Harwood immigration team. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the whole series on iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud or by visiting our website which is www.shlegal.com. My name is Serena Falks and I'm an employment associate in the Stevenson Harwood International Employment Group. I have with me Kimia Sepazad, an immigration consultant in the Stevenson Harwood immigration team. Today we will discuss tier 2 sponsor duties and how to avoid being non-compliant. Failure to comply can result in a license either being revoked or suspended. Therefore, we hope this podcast will provide you with the information needed to ensure that you can avoid these serious issues. Through the Freedom of Information Act, we know that there has in fact been a decrease in the number of licences suspended or revoked. However, the figures are still substantial. Between April 2017 to December 2017, over 555 licences were suspended and over 455 were revoked. The reason for the decrease in number from 2016 is largely due to the Home Office tightening up on requirements for initial license applications. Therefore, fewer sponsors are granted license who do not demonstrate compliance with their reporting duties, resulting in fewer licenses being suspended or revoked. Over the past year, there's been a rise in Home Office compliance visits. 8% of sponsors who already have a sponsor's license were visited during Q3 and Q4 of 2017, and 71% of those licenses were then revoked. Although this is a low percentage for visits, the percentage of those being revoked is considerable. In this podcast, we are going to look at the following. We'll give you an overview of the duties of a sponsor, and we'll explain what steps employers should take to ensure that they are Home Office compliant. Kimia, let's start with what sponsors need to do to comply with their Tier 2 sponsor duties. Thanks, Serena. When a sponsor is granted a licence and subsequently sponsors Tier 2 migrants, it is their responsibility to comply with, number one, their reporting duties which requires sponsors to update the Home Office in relation to changes to the company or the migrant's employment, and number two, their record-keeping duties and tracking migrant activities. This is to ensure that there are adequate methods of tracking the migrant's employment and ensuring that all required documents are kept on file in relation to their employment. In addition, compliance consists of ensuring that the sponsorship management system, the SMS, is updated and all details are correct. The authorising officer or level one user is required to log in monthly and it is advisable that they check the licence summary page and review the message which appear on the message board. Reporting duties are to be submitted by a level one user via the SMS and some reports require submission sheets and additional supporting documents to be submitted to the Home Office. Further, many reports are to be submitted within a given time frame. For instance, when reporting a change in the migrant's employment, i.e. a change in job title, it is to be reported within 10 working days. Can you give examples of reporting duties you have found that sponsors often don't know about? The most common duties I have found that sponsors are not aware of and are not aware of the given timeframes linked to these reporting duties are firstly a promotion or change in job title or core duties under the same SOC code of a sponsored migrant must be reported within 10 working days. If the job role falls under a different SOC code, this is deemed to be a change of employment and requires a new certificate of sponsorship. Secondly, if an authorising officer leaves the organisation, this must be reported and a request to replace them must be submitted. Level 1 and Level 2 users must also be removed if they leave the organisation. Thirdly, changes to a sponsored migrant salary must be reported. Also, a change in office address and changes to the organisation such as a merger, takeover, demerger, change in ownership must be reported. What is important in relation to the final example is that in some instances it may require a sponsor to obtain a new licence and this application must be submitted within 20 working days. 
So this is something that could prove an issue on corporate transactions where buying or selling a company, because that may lead to the nature of the organisation changing, simply the office address changing, and it also could lead to job roles changing for migrants in the new joined or demerged business. Yes. So I guess it's always important to take advice on how that may impact on a, on a sponsor licence at that stage. Yes, definitely. I've seen over the past few months, especially a lot of these changes, and obviously the focus is on the corporate side, and I think people tend to forget that it does affect their sponsorship license as well. Many people think that the license simply transfers, but it does depend where the change occurred, and if it's the direct owner of the company or directly to the company itself. Therefore, it's always good to seek advice in relation to this. And can you give examples of some record-keeping duties that sponsors may not be aware of? Yes, a full list of documents sponsors must keep on file can be found in Appendix D, Keeping Documents Guidance for Sponsors. Examples within this guidance are, number one, a full copy of a migrant's passport is required. Ordinarily, a copy of the photo page is sufficient for right-to-work checks. However, for Tier 2 migrants, a sponsor is required to obtain a copy of every page, which includes entry and exit stamps and visas. Number two, for sponsored migrants whose job role was advertised and the resident labour market test was applicable, do you have on file the screenshots of the advertisements, which include the logo of the website where the job role is advertised, the contents of the advert, the vacancy reference number, the date, the URL and the closing date of the application? You'll need to ensure that you have all documents in relation to the recruitment process. For example, all applications shortlisted for an interview, including their CVs, application forms, if this was required when the job role was advertised. You also need full interview notes in relation to any set of workers who applications were rejected. You also need a history of the migrants' contact details, including their residential address and contact numbers. The requirement is not only that the records are up to date, but the sponsor has a history of the migrants' previous contact details. So that means every time one of your employees who has a visa changes address and alerts you that they've changed their address, you need to not only input in the new address, but you need to make sure you're keeping all of the old details. And that might be their personal phone number as well, I suppose. Yes, that's correct. Finally, a record of the migrant's absences is also required. For tracking migrant activity, a sponsor must ensure that they have adequate processes to track the migrant's working hours, salary changes, personal details, job roles and duties. They should also be able to track and record absences, which includes leave, sick leave and business trips. So when it comes to recording absences, a lot of employers will have a system where you have to request holiday and you would have a record of it afterwards. And and equally with sick leave as well, you would have a record. Is there something extra that needs to be done with employees who are sponsored? Do you need to ask them where they're going on holiday? Are they going abroad? If they're on sick leave, do you need to inquire as to whether they're in the country or not? Or do you simply need to record that they're out of the office? So a sponsor isn't required to monitor whether the individual was outside of the UK or not. They can simply mark this as annual leave if annual leave was requested. For sick leave, they should monitor that this is sick leave and if it's their internal policy to keep documents on file, such as a doctor's letter, then they should keep this on file. They should also monitor how long the individual is on sick leave, as there are requirements here for how long somebody can be on sick leave for whilst being sponsored. It is important, however, to track any business trips, so marking the country visited and the duration of the trip. This is especially important for when a sponsored migrant applies for indefinite leave to remain, as it's the employer's duty to provide a letter to confirm any business trips taken throughout the sponsored migrant's employment. In relation to obtaining personal details, it's good to have a process in place 
to request for updated information from the sponsored migrants. This can be, for instance, every six months as it's unlikely that people change their contact numbers or their residential address. If you wanted your internal process to be every three months or every quarter, then that's fine as well. But it's definitely good to have something in place to obtain this updated information. In terms of visa expiry dates, I suggest this can be simply an outlook reminder, perhaps six months before the visa expires, three months and one month. This would provide the migrants and the employers sufficient time to obtain any documents needed for the application and it will also give the employer sufficient time to apply for a certificate of sponsorship if required. So would you suggest there's an outlet calendar set up for keeping track of all the sponsored employees' visa dates? So when they might be coming up for renewal and give them warnings and things like that, and there's one single person who's in charge of tracking all of that? I would suggest that there's one person that's in charge of this. I think it's a good idea to also have a second person that may have access to this in case that person leaves the organisation. What steps would you recommend employers taking to ensure that they are Home Office compliant? A good start would be to ensure that the key personnel list on the licence is still employed by the company. Should any changes need to be made, these requests can be submitted on the SMS. Secondly, I would advise that the key personnel, the authorising officer and level one users are individuals within the company who are aware of tier two compliance and are able to assist with managing the SMS and complying with the reporting duties. If you have a representative, I also suggest that a request is made for them to become a level one user. You should also review your sponsored migrants HR files to ensure that you have all required documents listed in Appendix D and identify what is missing. You should also review existing processes to ensure there are methods to obtain the updated information and documentation required and identify what processes need to be added or revised. Conducting regular right-to-work checks, it is important for these to be carried out regularly. From an employment law perspective, do you have any advice, Serena, regarding what employers should be wary of when requesting for information and documentation from their employees? Yes, and this is an area where we do get questions from clients because their obligations to the Home Office in relation to immigration rules are can sometimes conflict with their obligations to employees under employment law. So if you are intending on requesting information from employees to obtain updated information documents, you need to be aware of the following issues. You need to ask for the information from the perspective of assessing a genuine business need in the immigration context. Questions must be asked to all employees or to all of a certain category of employees to avoid nationality discrimination issues and avoid any questions that do not represent a real need for information that may seem just prurient or, or, or speculative and, and potentially could be seen to be discriminatory. Regarding right-to-work checks and procedures, these are particularly important to review them. We mentioned having alerts in an Outlook calendar or the like in which six months or three months before a visa was due to expire, a warning system would go off. It would be sensible to get in touch with the employee at that stage and, and see what they are doing in order to extend their visa or get the correct visa. However, if they don't then comply, it's very difficult because you're faced with a situation where you simply cannot employ an individual who does not have the right to work in the UK. But employment law means that a process needs to be followed. And so in the recent case of Afsal and East London Pizza, the EAT overturned an employment tribunal's decision in which it had decided that dismissing an employee with no right of appeal, where the individual had failed to provide evidence to confirm his right to work in the UK, 
the employment tribunal had decided that that was fair because it would be pointless giving them the right to appeal. You know, he did not have the documents and at the time the decision to dismiss was made, he could not show that he had the right to work. But the EAT decided that he should have had the right to appeal, as most employees should have after they've got their two-year service and unfair dismissal rights. This case flags a technical point about procedural unfair dismissal and employees needing to have a right of appeal to ensure that a fair dismissal process is followed. It shows the practical issues for employers who are caught between their duties to the Home Office and their duties to employees under employment law. Giving a right to appeal a dismissal for not having the correct paperwork is unlikely to produce any issues from an immigration perspective, but it will help to avoid an unnecessary tribunal case for unfair dismissal. So, Kimia, how can we help employers make sure that they comply with all their requirements of the Home Office? There are several ways that we can help employers. We can provide training to the key personnel, to people who are in charge of the licence. We also mentioned that a representative can become a level one user to assist with updating the sponsorship management system and reporting changes to a migrant's employment if needed. We can also assist with general compliance, so assist you with your processes which you currently have and advise on how to improve them to become home office compliant. In addition, some employers find it very useful for us to conduct a mock compliance visit to go in, assess all their processes and their record keeping. Again, there we can advise what needs to be improved should the Home Office conduct their own visit. We also assist with visa applications, so if you do have migrants which are due for renewal or indefinitely to remain, we can assist with this. If you have any ad hoc queries, we can also assist with that. Of course, if there is any overlap with employment law issues, HR, employee relations matters, then our employment team will work hand-in-hand with the immigration team to make sure that we get a sensible and commercial answer. Thank you, Serena, and thanks for listening. Don't forget that you can listen again and subscribe to the whole series on iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud by visiting Stevenson Harwood website. Mm